You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. I am an E. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with my friends and family. And this week, I'm talking with my friend Greg, ostensibly about the Little Nas X song and video from Ontario. And they do make an appearance, but mostly, woo, brace yourself for an in-depth consideration of Christianity in general. It's episode 2.12. Buckle up. When I first friend Greg. Hello. Greg, I have known, I want to say since 2017. That sounds about right. Since that's when I met Daniel. Yeah, because Greg, I know from one of my one of my favorite people, Daniel Tatro. Um, and I want to say the first time I met you, I'm thinking was at the Christmas party. Um, yeah. I didn't see one of your shows before that. Yeah. The one with the, the wives. No, that was definitely after. Oh, okay. I mean, time is all a blur at this point, as you know. So <laughs> I'm like 2017, 2018, 2020, 2019. Like, what is time? I know. And maybe because the 2016 election was so, you know, frozen in my mind, mm-hmm. that 2016, 2017 time period has become one of those times that always feels like it was last year. <laughs> like, it just, it feels like it just happened. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's five, five and six years ago. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a while, but. Mm-hmm. No, it just happened. It just happened. So, yeah. so yes, we met through Daniel, and then especially recently, we have become like like thought buddies on on Instagram, just trading mm-hmm. trading videos, trading thoughts. <laughs> Greg is a thinker, and I love the way he thinks. Well, thanks. I love the way you think. So that's how I know you. I met you through Daniel, who I met through church. So uh, Daniel and I were definitely Christian at some point. It's mm-hmm. questionable whether or not I still am. Mm-hmm. So, Greg, give me three things that to you make someone a Christian. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Just, so this is the question. This is like the question that I was most thinking about before this. Because I was like, I don't. It's, it's for me, it is very, very complicated, which is probably why you're asking the question. Um, it's complicated for me because people mean lots of things when they say Christian but that's not necessarily what it means to me. So, okay. So I'll try, I'm going to try. So thing number one, I would say, I'm going to, I'm going to just say things and then hopefully we'll be able to be like, this is actually the thing that you're saying. But like thing number one for me, Greg, and I like, because I recognize that not everyone, not everyone that is Christian. Yeah. And this is all about you. Okay. So just, just your criteria. Yeah. I, okay. Thing number one is that as a spiritual, spiritual practice or something in that realm, Because as my other things will speak to, I don't think that it's just that. But Mm -hmm. as a spiritual something, I would first say that I don't generally think of Christians as being followers of Christ. I think of Christians being more akin to followers of Paul, Mm -hmm. potentially, in terms of the spiritual practice. Um, Because, Mm -hmm. And I remember from childhood even when I identified as Christian, that when I would read Paul, I was like, something does not 
like sit well with me about the way he's writing, the way he's framing things. And I was like, and it feels like he's framing things in a way that's very different from the way that I understood when I was reading the gospels. So anyway, so that's the thing. And I also find that the Christians that I most have like rub up against love Paul, love Paul, the quote you Romans, Corinthians. Oh yes. And so, so anyway, so one I would say is like spiritually, akin to um, followers of Paul. Although, frankly, I actually think that in terms of the spirit, spiritual practice, it actually is that slash men and people of power post-Paul that have like put together ideas in a certain way. So that's that. So I, I guess that's one. Two, though, is um, I think that Christians are people that either consciously or unconsciously insert themselves into a historical legacy. Ooh which is one of the reasons that I don't, even though like there are things about Christ's teaching specifically things, and I'm not like a hundred percent, like I love it. Well, most things that Christ himself said and did, I'm like, I don't have issues with this. I just don't necessarily think that he, this is me going off a little bit, <laughs> but I don't necessarily think that he like is the only person that I can think of in history, assuming that he existed in history, um, that has done things that I feel this way about. So that's one of the things that I don't, um, I've actually, one of the, I'm kind of really going off, but one of the like sort of realizations that I had when I was um, working through my belief system back in the day when I maybe still identified as Christian is that I was like, I realized that I was always taught that Christ was an exception and I'm shifting to believe that Christ is an example. Um, and so that was like a big thing for me. Um, but he's one of many examples to me, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, so, so thing number two for me is that it's, it's kind of like, um, Someone like a Christian is is inserted into a historical legacy, and what I was saying is that's one of the one of the many reasons that I don't identify as Christian because I don't really want to carry the burden of that historical legacy, and that historical legacy is actually hostile towards many of my identities, like including my black and African one. So, yeah. and I have thoughts about what it means to be a Christian and kind of responsibly hold that historical legacy if you choose to do so. But yeah, so that the other thing is participation in that historical legacy. I, and I think that because regardless of whether you are conscious of that historical legacy, when you say I am a Christian in the mind of someone who is not a Christian and probably in the minds of many people who are Christians, there is a whole historical legacy that comes with that word. And so like, you know, if you don't want that, you might want to say I'm a follower of Christ or something. <laughs> but anyway, so that's two. And then three, I'm defining Christian. Uh, a Christian is also a participant in a broad, worldwide, present institution that is of political and social nature. And I would argue, I would argue given, this is where it gets, and I know not everyone feels this way, but given where I've been and like how much uh, I have studied around like sort of spirit, different ideas of spirituality, I would argue that Christianity functions primarily in that sense of the, of the things that I've spoken about. It's present function, the way that it functions is largely social and political and like about power and about, uh, and, and, you know, structuring uh, communities. Maybe that's another thing. Community. I'll add, well, that's kind of social. But to me, it's that, too. It's like a community, social, political institution. Mm -hmm. so, so a participant in that institution would be three. Historical legacy, follower of Paul on the spiritual side, and institution of political, social, and communal power. Ooh, that is so good. 
and so clear. And so based on that, very clearly this week, I am not a Christian. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So thank you. But yes. not just for me. So don't come for me, Christian, or do, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. But like, that's that's how I view it. And that's why, you know, we'll we'll get there. I have thoughts about, because that's how I view it and how I think that many people view it. I think that there's a, like, if you, if you are moving in the world as a Christian and also are interested in questions of social justice, equity, and just general expression of love in the world, then I actually think that there are like important things to keep in mind in terms of how you hold yourself and that term when you're using it in the world. So that's a whole thing. Ooh, I can already tell you are going to have to come back on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So many things to talk about. There's a lot. So, so I'm not a Christian this week. You have alluded to the fact that you are no longer a Christian. So mm-hmm. give me give me some of your story. Mm. So I was raised. Um, so I'm I'm the children of or the children. I'm the child of Ghanaian immigrants to the US. So both of my parents are from Ghana. When I was growing up, my father identified well, my father was ostensibly Catholic, but never went to church with us. And so I always thought that he was like kind of a religious or something in adult life, like literally in the past few years, actually found out the reasons why he didn't go to church, which were like, I was like, I wish I'd known this growing up because it like completely aligns with some of the things that I feel about the church now. It was like very like centered in questions of race and how that played into the church in the United States, which I never knew because he never told me until I was adult. My mother, uh, I believe, grew up Methodist in Ghana and my mother, you know, I think that interestingly, the, the spiritual path that I've walked in the way that I've walked it is partially because of the way my mother held Christianity, which is that for her, though I do think ultimately like she she did like to go to church, she was like, we would talk about that. She was like, you know, God is not the church, you know, God like and Christianity, like being, you know, this is about a relationship that you have with God. That's how my mom always explained it to me. So she's like, the church is like a good thing. You know, at least it's how she explain it to me, right? So it's just cool, it's a good thing, but like mm-hmm. it's it's you don't need the church to do that. And like your and it very much this idea of like your beliefs are your beliefs kind of thing. I just I just realized that and I I I even saw it when I would go to church that other people relate to Christianity very heavily around the idea of needing to align with the entire community. Like we have to all be whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I I wonder if my mom would agree with this now, but I feel like when we would go to church, there was a sense of like, we're taking something. We're like taking what we take from it. And, you know, presumably if we're going to the church, we're going to it because mostly they align with us, but not that we like are going there because it's all about the church. Because that's another thing. If I, I, you know, I I almost want to go back on my definition because I'd also argue that's part of what I said about the followers of Paul versus Christ, because I find that Christianity tends to be more about following the institution's doctrine than it is about following Christ. And and then the institution's doctrine is very centered in its goals politically, socially, and communally. So that, that's, that, anyway. So I grew up that, I grew, the, the reason I say all that is because, because, my mom, because my mother felt that way, we kind of like would, I just have memories of like, we would go to this church and then we go to this other church and they'd be like different denominations other than like they weren't Catholic because we weren't Catholic. We would go like we would go to, you know, this kind of church and this kind of church. Then like when I lived in New Jersey, 
which is when I was like 10. I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. When I was 10, we moved to New Jersey and we started going to a Baptist church. And from then on, we went to Baptist church, churches. Yeah. However, I would say like my kind of coming up years, I went to this church that looking back on it, I don't like was an evangelical and I only like I've, I've only like in, again, recent years been like, oh, I guess that was an evangelical church because, you know, they were definitely they there was definitely a year that I didn't celebrate Halloween because they were like, Halloween is the devil. And I was like, oh, OK. And I was I'm very I've always been I even to this day, I can be very I'm very conscientious and very like do what do you know, do what they say unless I feel like it's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. If I feel like something's wrong, I won't do it. Um, and so I was like, Ooh. And so like, I think for like a year I didn't do it. And I was like, but it's so fun. And so then I was like, I'll do Halloween. I just won't dress up like the devil anymore. Cause I used to, I remember there was a year that I literally dressed up as the devil. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I won't dress up as the devil, but like, I like dressing up and like, and that's how I would like do drag and and all this crazy. Anyway, anyway, so, so I remember that. I remember like looking back, I was like, Oh yeah, there was a time when we, in Sunday school, they were like, so one day in school, they're going to try to teach you that we came from apes and I want you to know. And I, and like back then I didn't really think anything of it, but then, but it's so interesting because then when I learned, when I learned about it, I was like, Oh, but this makes sense to me though. So it's fine. You know what I mean? I don't know. And I, again, I think that because of how I was raised, that sort of flexibility was just like a little bit kind of built into my understanding of things. So, um, so yeah, I definitely had that evangel and like, that was the, so a lot of the stuff that you post about sometimes I'll be like, it, I like, I, though I've had, I had church all through probably until I was like 21, I had like pretty regular church experiences. A lot of the stuff that you speak to will remind me either of that period of my life, which was probably like six, seven to 10. And my college years when I was going to a, a church at my college that like worshiped in the tradition of the black church. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those two experiences are the ones that, that feel most that your posts bring up uh, when uh, the most, I would say. Um, So that was, so that was my journey. That's yeah. That's a a, a big piece. Um, College was interesting because I was going through a whole reckoning around my, my sexual identity while also going to this church and this church at the time was like known for these fire and brimstone because Yale is known as like the, was known as the gay Ivy. I went to Yale. It was known as like the gay Ivy, but um, I don't know if it's still called that, but so we, there would be these fire and brimstone sermons about homosexuality. And she's like, and I know Yale is supposed to be liberal or whatever, but I'm going to tell it like it is. And she would just go in and it'd be like, like it's, it was just felt, it was a weird juxtaposition because it's like, so not Yale. And so there was this like little, enclave where this this sort of thinking was like so intense at the time but it was like crazy because so many people in the congregation so many people that were preaching so many people that were in the praise and worship team were queer or ended up being queer Mm -hmm. and like some I found out years and years and like decades later but I'm like or not decades but you know I mean years and years later and I'm like yeah it was just it was it was a lot and so, you know, I have memories of seeing friends that I, or a friend in particular that I knew that was queer, like crying during one of these sermons. And I was like, oh, this is too much. This is like, and so at a point I was like, I just, the energy that I feel here, I don't like. And here's the deal. Because of how I was raised, 
I've always and I continue to have a very deep interest and belief in in the metaphysical and the spiritual. Like it's like it's I'm interested in it and I like I I move in the world very much um, in that way. But I always like for a long time, I was like, I believe in something. I be at the time I said I believe in God and I actually I believe in Christ and all that. But I don't feel it here in this place that mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be feeling it. Like I actually don't feel it. I actually oftentimes when I move here, feel it less than I feel it in other places. I would feel it oftentimes in spaces of music. Okay. I, I, one of the reasons why I was going to that church um, at Yale is because a lot of the ways in which um, that church and like some black churches preach and create music brings up feelings that I'm like, I'm feeling something here. Something is happening here. But then I was like, yeah, but also I'm now also feeling <laughs> something else. <laughs> and the something else does not feel like God. And I don't need that. Because at the time I was also singing with a singing group that was not a Christian singing group where I felt like I was connecting with the divine all the time. And that's actually how I know Dan because we both sang in that group. I feel like yes. through music and through connection and community and through centering myself in a belief in building something greater and using my gifts to do that, which is one of the things that the mission kind of, one of the missions that the group had, those things I like felt you know, a connection with the divine. So I was like, why am I moving? Because I already had this sort of fraught relationship with church because I felt like even though people are like, oh, it's a personal relationship with God, there was always this undercurrent of like, but if you're not actually coming to church, then you're not right with God. And I'm like, but I like ideologically don't agree with that. And so I, I think that like I've always, even when I was young, like I've always been searching I've, I've never just been like, a, oh, you just with with spiritual things with God. I was always searching. I was never just like, oh, I just do these things and I'm good. I remember I know I'm like babbling a little bit, but I remember that when I had I was 10, it was when we first started going to a Baptist church and like I was getting baptized and because I was getting baptized. They had like this whole like you have to like have these meetings with the, the pastor or whatever. Who was cool. This was actually this time we were it was a black Baptist church um, this first year. Um, and like, I loved again, the music and whatever, but anyway, so we'd have these meetings and we would talk about this idea of being saved. And I was like, so how do you know if you're saved? And he was like, do you, it was, I don't remember exactly what he asked, but it, it, it was like a set of questions. He was like, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I was like, yes. He was like, do you believe that he died on the cross? I was like, yes. And he was like, do you believe that, you know, because he's died on the cross, you are like forgiven, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, then you're saved. And I was like, mm, no, I was like that. No, because I, mean, because I was like, I don't feel anything that that's that was a set of questions. I was like, this needs to be deep. I don't play mm -hmm. with this. And this is also because growing up, I learned that if you're not saved, you go to hell. I was like, I'm not I'm not going to let you tell me that I answered three questions and I'm good. Like, what if you are wrong? <laughs> that I'm eternally going to burn in hell? No, no. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I, I, I can't get behind that. I know, there has to be something more to being saved than that because I need. I feel like I should be feeling something. <laughs> and I, I just felt like I answered a quiz. Like anyone could just do that. You know what I mean? 
Anyway, but that's the thing. Like other people would probably, I don't know, but I like other people would be like, I'm saved because I would answer yes to those three questions. But I was like, no, I have felt the presence of God. And I feel like if I'm saying I'm having this experience that actually gives me access to heaven versus eternal damnation, it should actually right. feel like something and not just be a quiz. So I need to search more and figure out like what's going on. You know what I mean? So basically, as, as I had more and more life experience and like began to experience other things that didn't necessarily align with what I'd always been told, particularly, you know, getting to know before I identified myself as queer, like begin, getting to know other queer people and being like, I do not feel any of the things that I've been told that I'm supposed to be feeling about these people. In fact, I sense more of the qualities that I think that the church claims to espouse with these people than many people that I know in the church. So I cannot get behind that. But like, I don't know what it is, but this does like, it does not feel right to say like the very fact that they love in the way that they do means that that's a sin. So that, that already, the way that I worked, I was like, that's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm going to justify it theologically just yet, but I, Mm -hmm. but I have to trust what I feel. And as I moved forward and like kind of moved beyond Christianity and into like looking into other spiritual practices, it actually became very important to me to move from my present understanding of what is true in each moment, but also to change my understanding of what is true very flexibly given the light of my own experience. Because I, I do believe that we feel and we know when things are in alignment or not. And I'm like, so if I like say I believe this, but then I have this experience that shows me mm, this belief does not jive, then I'm like, okay, then we're going to like be open and, and see how this can reshape. So that's kind of like where I, I kind of am, I guess now. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking because I feel like I've been talking a lot, but yeah. No, that's so good. <laughs> I can't even imagine like having kind of that freedom of thought as a child, mm. you know, Christianity, there was no questions. This is, this is what it is. This is what we believe. Like, and that's, that's it. Well, there was, I mean, to be clear, there was, de- there was definitely a yes and to that because there was a lot of, you know, at the same time I had all this terrible um, shame around my body. I didn't feel comfortable call, like calling queer people sinners, but the idea of identifying myself as a queer person was a whole other thing. Right. I still like, I don't think it was, until recently that I've actually been like, I don't actually believe in hell like that, like that, that's so like, I was terrified by hell. There were, I mean, there are lots of, I mean, you know, this is part of what I work in, work on in therapy, um, which is a thing that I just want to put out there, which is, can we reflect? <laughs> there's so much to say. You, there's so much to say. Cause I'm like, here's the, here's one of the things that I believe very strongly. I believe I am a, I'm a, I consider myself to be spiritual. I read about different spiritual practices. I personally believe that there are many paths to connecting with the divine. I also believe that divine lives within us. And that's like one of the things that I don't question. But one of the things that I do think is as much as I do believe in a metaphysical plane and that it's not just about what we see, touch that, you know, our five senses and like what we experience through the five senses. I do believe that there's more to our experience than that. I also believe that any spiritual practice that does not have fruitful ramifications in the physical plane is lacking. So within that space, I'd also say that whatever spiritual practice you follow, you would do well to ask yourself how it is functioning. Not just like, is it good or bad, good or bad, which I, again, good and bad, the good, bad binary is also something that is not my jam. I don't um, subscribe to that. But like, how is it functioning? How is it functioning in my life, for sure? But also, how is it functioning in the world? Because 
again, I am not, you know, it is not my mission or really my interest to be like, people shouldn't be Christian or like, I would listen to that argument because I try to listen to different arguments that like Christianity should be abolished. I'm not even going there. But Mm -hmm. I will say that if you are going to identify as Christian, it would be useful to think about how Christianity has functioned in your life and in the world and how Christianity is functioning in your life and in the world. And I say all that to say this, say what you want to say about Christianity or whatever, but it is a fact. And I know it because I am one of these people and I know many people like this, that there are many people who are in therapy because of the experiences that they've had in the church. And I think that it is on the church to think about the function that it is having in the world that is causing that kind of an experience. Regardless of what you think the belief system is, how are you practicing it in such a way that there are people that that have fears, that have difficulty in relationships, that are depressed, that are anxious because of the ways in which they are moving through the spaces that you are claiming to be safe and of God? That's that's not, a for me, a theological question. That's a question of, actually, potentially it is a theological question. I'm actually not even going to say that. But my point is, beyond the theological, there's also like, even if you believe what you believe, maybe the way that you're practicing what you believe is not actually in alignment with the belief system because it's causing harm. And that's my thing. Right. Like, functionally, functionally, there are ways in which Christianity is functionally harmful, and Christianity does not acknowledge those things. And that, I think, is problematic. Because everything, by the way, Everything in this world is functionally harmful in some ways. I would say Christianity is very functionally harmful in some ways. I like very, very, very. That's a whole rabbit hole. If we get into the history of Christianity, it's functionally very, very harmful in lots of ways. But I'm not trying to condemn necessarily Christianity simply for that fact. What I'm saying is, how are you reckoning with it? Are you even acknowledging it? Did I even answer your question? I just like was I just went off just now. But (laughs) I think you answered questions I didn't even know I had. And also gave more questions, but perfect, perfect, because you touched on on hell, the the damage the Christianity is doing, yeah, beliefs and and letting go of them, and so that that kind of all just comes perfectly into Montero. Call me by your mm, name. Mm-hmm. So just before Easter, Lil Nas X released this song and video mm-hmm. that pretty much tackles all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, what were your, when did you first see it? What did you first think? How did that that video, that song land for you? That's an interesting question. So I think that I found out about it because I follow some like, you know, queer and gay um, Instagram handles. And there was just like all these posts about Lil Nas, Montero, you know, dance, like stuff about hell and the devil. And I was like, what is going on? What happened? <laughs> what happened? And then like people being like, Christians must be like blank. And I was like, wait, what happened? I was like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know what happened. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let me, let me get on. Cause I like this old town road or whatever. I was like, "Eh." I like could give or take it. I wasn't particularly personally interested, no hate to whatever, but I just was not necessarily my thing. But then like this, apparently there was this big thing going on. Right. And so I like, was like, okay, let me log into YouTube. And I watched the video. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, he's coming for some things, whatever. I, I'll speak to like, you know, the meat of it or the the, de- the details of it in a second. But I think what is most striking about the first time I watched it is that I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm interested in this. And he's pushing it back against this. And like, yes. And like, I, I like that he's doing this. And oh, this, he seems to be working with the duality of this and that and blah, 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 blah. Oh, Greek, blah, blah, blah. Oh, blah, blah, blah. All this intellectual stuff. And then... 
get to that final scene and he's dancing with the devil. And I was like, this is interesting. I am uncomfortable with this. And what's interesting about that is I don't believe in the devil and I don't believe in hell, but I'm still uncomfortable with this. And so that's when I started to reflect and I was like, oh, right, because I've been traumatized by the notion of hell and the devil. And so my body responds to imagery of the devil, even when my mind doesn't even conceive of it, even though my my worldview and my spiritual view does not have space for the existence of a devil. I was like, ooh, you know, there was like, it's like I was split because there was a part of me is like, what if he is working with the devil? Wait, Greg, you don't believe in the devil, but what if he's working with the devil? Ooh, what? It was like this whole, it was like this whole thing. And so I like sat with that for a second and like, was like, this is so interesting. And then I watched it a few more times. That's the thing, I, you know, this idea of, of the pause where you like feel that initial response, but instead of just like shutting it away, you just like sit. And I was like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to watch it again and again mm-hmm. and again. And so I watched it a few more times. And I think that a lot of what that video does that is interesting is that it really, it's like a divestment of, of energy and of power and import to all of these narratives and all of these Well, yeah, I would say all of these narratives that have been used, have been used to oppress people, to talk about function, have been used to oppress and to control people. And aside from the ways in which the video itself was doing work, what is brilliant, because Lil Nas has always done, Lil Nas X has always done this, he's always been like very clever with how he interacts with social media in order to create certain effects. He very clearly was not just using the video, but using what he knew would be the response to do the work because the response did a lot of work. And that's the thing that's ironic because Christians in their response to things did all kinds of work to dismantle a lot of the things that they have traditionally wielded against other people because so much of the narrative or so much of the response kind of lifted the veil on the sort of spiritual motives of Christian people when it comes to things like sexuality and homosexuality specifically, right? Because it was like, well, he's actually doing exactly what you basically said is going to happen and you're still mad. Right. So what's the problem? Like, what's the problem? The thing is, because, and it's so interesting This is where we get into a big, mm, 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 mm. because it's so interesting, because what I was about to say is y'all can't leave him alone. Y'all can't leave us alone. It's not just about you don't want, you know, you don't want gay people in your church. You can't let other people exist. Even if they disavow association with you, you still are going to come. You're going to come to their table. And when I said that, it immediately made me think of things like Tulsa and Rosewood, the ways in which. These systems of power that claim that their issue is the ways in which we disrupt their spaces, actually, when we then we're like, okay, so we'll go, I'm gonna go to my own space. It's like, so this is Lil Nas X being like, oh, gay people can't have heaven? Fine, I'll, we'll go to hell. We're good. Right. We'll dance, we'll look fabulous. I'm wearing some fly ass heels. I look good. Yes. And Christians are like, well, then we're gonna come after you and be like, how dare, you know what I'm saying? And so similarly, Black folk are like, okay, well, like people are, they're not trying to let us succeed in white spaces. We're going to create our own space and create abundance and wealth and live our beautiful Black lives. And white people are like, we're going to find you out and we're going to tear that down, right? And that's just very interesting because again, what that does is it lifts the veil and it reveals that it's not actually about whether or not you think we're acting right or doing right. It's about your 
power over us and your need to always be superior to us and for us to move in the world as if we are inferior to you. That like that it is important for you to feel that way, right? And so it's just so interesting because I think that that in a lot of ways was revealed. And again, again, I say Christians, but I, because of the, the, the definition that I have, I can't speak for all, all people that name themselves Christians necessarily. But I think institutionally, institutionally, that's absolutely a thing. Another thing, I think that that, that whole hubbub revealed. It's, and, 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 and what I love about it, too, is because Lil Nas X was ready with receipts to be like, you know, there were white churches, white churches that did sermons about specifically that video. And he, I loved it. He literally had a post where he's like, y'all don't talk about police brutality. Y'all don't talk about poverty. Y'all don't talk about about inequity in education. Y'all don't talk about all of these things. But I, one 21-year-old Black man, come out with one music video and I get a whole sermon? Okay. Okay. So that brings me to, and this is again why I say followers of Paul versus Christ. Because... To me, again, I don't identify as Christian, but if I were going to be a Christian, I would say that the legacy of Christ is one of social justice, is one of communalism or community, creating community, is one of always seeking out the least among us and lifting them first, is also a a resistance to, um, what is this word? self-righteousness and moralism, right? So much, as I recall it, so much of the narrative of Christ is centered on the um, tension between him and the Pharisees. It's ironic to me because even as we read, like even when I was back in the church, like we would read about that stuff and talk about that stuff. And I remember when we would watch like, you know, movies about Jesus of Nazareth and be like, you see how the Pharisees will. And I'm like, and yet the Christian church functions significantly more similarly to the Pharisees than they do to Christ in terms of just in terms of the ways in which it's all about who's following the rules and who like who's doing what they're, are you, you're not supposed to do that. You're like, was Christ doing that? Was Christ doing that? Was Christ, um, didn't he like speak to a prostitute or something at some point? Was he like, you're not supposed to do that? No. And so it's so, this is what I mean about sort of the revealing, um, even though I, I, I wouldn't say that I actually think that there are malevolent intentions. Well, I wouldn't say that all people that move within the system have malevolent intentions, but it's just, it's egregious to me. It's like striking to me how differently the Christian church as an institution moves with regards to these things when compared to Christ, given that supposedly the Christian church follows Christ. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just very, um, the focus on who's right and who's wrong and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, as opposed to like, what is the church doing? Right? Like to me, the fact that churches are a space that are literally bringing grand amounts of people together bringing together large amounts of financial resource oftentimes, right? Mm -hmm. And also inciting great levels of passion. This to me represents an incredible, because I actually do believe that the key to transformation is our coming together. And so I'm like, churches represent a space in which this is done regularly, consistently, and in very powerful ways. And I'm like, of all of the things that one can do with the great power that this institution seems to be giving you to put your focus on queer people 
And I'm going to, I mean, this is broadly, but also I think it becomes even more egregious when we talk about the Black church, because Mm. there are so many issues that face the Black community in this country that I'm like, why aren't churches like at the forefront of educational inequity? Why aren't churches at the forefront of economic inequity? Why aren't churches at the forefront of um, combating misogyny? Why aren't churches at the forefront of combating police brutality? Like at the forefront, not talking about it once in a, once in a while. Like what? Christ was out in the streets, walking around barefoot, being like, "Who who need who's got who can I help? You know, you good? You need wine? I got you." Like you know, you know what I'm saying? like that. Like that's what he was doing. He was out in the streets. Yes, he was. He was also you know preaching his sermons or whatever. But at the end of the day, he was out doing social justice work, and he was doing work. And whenever he would preach sermons, those sermons were about creating a world that is very different from the ones that I feel that Christianity often is pushing us towards. You know, one that is centered in love. So the Montero thing, like I think that another thing that was super interesting about it is it just made it very striking to me how certain issues that that the powers that be within the Christian institution have decided are the hot button issues can cause all of that power, all of that mm-hmm. historical and and yeah, I mean, I mean, because there's like historical power. The thing is, like the very the very foundations of this country are Christian. And so in what like Christians have influence in this country in ways that are kind of unfair, like politically have influence. Oh, and yeah. so all of that is wielded for a a young black man doing a video about like loving himself in spite of the fact that these institutions have told him to hate himself. But that power is not used consistently, right? Because I don't want to hear these arguments. Well, you know, what about when Reverend Sharpton did blah, blah, blah? No, no. Consistently. Why? Like every Sunday and every, and the days in between, right? Why isn't that power being consistently used to dismantle all of the nonsense, the actual nonsense, the human nonsense that actually is affecting our lives. Because even if, you know, I call this book out all the time, Sexuality in the Black Church, Kelly Brown Douglas, love this book. You know, she's like, racism is a sin. I don't believe in sin, by the way, but she says racism is a sin. And I'm like, I love, like, I was like, if I were going to be Christian, I'd be, I'd go to her church. Because the way that she's talking about things, she's like, you know, first of all, you can't have a concept of Christian belief that um, thinks of the flesh in any form as an abomination. Because she was like, the very revelation of God through flesh sanctifies flesh, period. People like to tr- like to say, oh, well, but Christ wasn't really. It's like, no, no, no. The point, as far as she's concerned, the point of Christ coming in the form of flower God coming in the form of Christ as flesh is to, to, to represent to us the sanctity of our flesh. And so you cannot then call the, 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 the flesh or the workings of the flesh an abomination. She's like, that is counter to the legacy of Christ. So, you know, so much of what she's saying is like, you know, things like racism, which would condition, but something that I've been talking about, condition the value of someone's flesh because of the color of their skin is counter to the legacy of Christ. So I'm like, even if you think uh, homosexuality is a sin, which that's, you know, mess, but even if you think that is not like the systemic isolation of black people from all access to anything also a sin, where is where is your sermon on that? And where is the work that you're doing on that? Where's the campaigning you're doing on that? Y'all are out here like campaigning with pickets and things about gay people, but where are where are you when black people are being killed when black people don't have access to education, when, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where are you? So that's, that's a thing. I'm going to say one last thing. 
Please, come on. Because that just this just came into my head. Another thing that I've been thinking about in terms of like how I feel about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices in general is that if your spiritual practice, how do I say this? If the quote unquote good things that your spiritual practice are only available to those that practice your spiritual practice, that also speaks to a lacking spiritual practice by my by my estimation. And it strikes me as like, kind of irresponsible and and like definitely harmful to then really push the agenda of that spiritual practice. So this was something I was talking about with my friend the other day. I was like, it's like striking to me. And it's, I mean, I'm not going to say that only Christians do this necessarily, although in this country they are, they are, I would say number one. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they would disagree yeah. with me on this, that like Christians push, like try to legislate their belief system. Yeah. But what is not being talked about is if you're trying to legislate your belief system, then you're actually saying, I want to create a world in which the only people that fully benefit from what I'm creating in this world are people that believe what I believe. And I'm like, and again, one, that's just hugely problematic to me, not even thinking theologically, like problematic. Then I think spiritually problematic. But then I even think about Christ himself. And again, was Christ like, oh, I'm going to help you out if you pledge allegiance to, no, he was like, you need help? I got you. That's it. That's it, right? Because this is the principle of unconditional love, is that you are offering love regardless, which is like why I roll my eyes at some of these missionaries that like are going into spaces and offering things. But there's at least a tacit, if not explicit kind of like, and then you're going to come to this church and you're going to get, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I don't think that that's, that again, is not, that is not the workings of Christ. And aside from that, spiritually speaking, I don't, I think that that does not like, does not feel spiritually aligned to me. Ooh, man, there's so much there. But even just thinking about that idea of we can't even make our own spaces where we say, okay, you don't agree with us. You don't like us. We'll go over here and do this. It's never been about presence. Like it's always about about power and like just not being able to stand the fact that somebody else is, yeah, like defying, defying you. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, not always, but as I have, you know, changed my own views on sexuality because I was raised no, homosexuality is wrong. Same. Even before I knew what it was, I knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then now on this side, knowing that it's not, now I look at it and I'm like, well, why, why is this a thing? Like, like you said, of all the things they could harp on, of all the things that, you know, could be a big deal, like why, why is this? And now I think about it, I'm like, oh, that has so much to do with just freedom and autonomy. I would also and- say, and this is what I said when I talked about the historical the historical legacy that you're entering into as a Christian, I would also say that the reason why and this is, I'm a nudge a little something here, but I'm gonna keep it real since we're here. I would also say that one of the reasons why sexuality is one of the things that is harped on. And, and, you know, Kelly Brown Douglas kind of hints at this too in uh, sexuality in the black church is because of the ways that Christianity in general, and particularly as it functions in the United States, is an arm of white supremacy. And white supremacy, one of the things that she talks about is the idea that sexuality, in or, like one of the key ways to control a people is through mm-hmm. sexuality. Because sexuality is literally the force, I mean, it's such a basic human force and it's literally how life is created. So controlling the sexuality of a people is to control the people. And so 
the control of sexuality is a key aspect, which you wouldn't think of, but the control of sexuality, not, and we're not just talking about homosexuality, but the control of sexuality no, in general is a key aspect of white supremacy. And the church, I'm not arguing, well, I, can't, I couldn't argue because obviously Christianity, well, I'll say Christ predates the concept of whiteness, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't think whiteness is 2,000 years old. So I think <laughs> Christ predates whiteness. But I, but again, this is why I'm like Christians. You can't just stand on the spiritual. You also have to take responsibility for how you function. So though you're, you you might believe yourself to be part of a spiritual tradition that started with Christ, I would argue with Paul. You also are part of a historical legacy that has functioned very outside of whatever that spiritual tradition is, and that fun and one of the key functions of the church. And this is like factual. I mean, like, that's the other thing. I'm like, this is why I'm like, I need the church to, I want the church to talk about this. I, I, that, that actually brings me to something that I think is super important, but I'll say that in a second. But like factually, the church has been used as an arm of white supremacy, right? It has been used to justify the decimating of peoples, right? Indigenous peoples. I mean, many of the, re some of the reasons I argue that black people oftentimes hold so tightly to Christianity in the ways that they do. One of the reasons that I think that is the case is because our ancestors were literally basically at the, the risk of death told like, yeah. follow this or you're done, right? And that's in our, that's in our, our DNA, that's in our bodies. So it's like, of course, there's this sense of like, we can't be out of line with this, this spiritual practice. So there's, there's, um, there are ways in which it is, is, it is functioned as an arm of white supremacy. And frankly, I would argue the ways in which black people have been separated, like that black people's relationship to Christianity has been one of the key reasons that queer black people and non-queer black people view each other as separate is also white supremacy working on us. Right. Because yeah. we not we can't we do not work as well as a unit in combat combating white supremacy because of this system that was right. actually given to us by white people. And like I'm like, hey, y'all, hey, is anyone seeing this? <laughs> like, Are you seeing this? It's happening in real time. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say that I'm not even saying because I do believe. Many spiritual paths can lead to connection with divinity, including, I would say, the teachings of Christ, potentially Christianity, which I think is different, potentially Christianity, but certainly the teachings of Christ. But any spiritual practice that you hold to as in like, like it's like a, a it has to be living. It has to be living and evolving. It can't be a book. It can't be it can't be words that like are unchanging and has to be exactly this all the time. You have to your lived experience has to be a part of it. You have to imbue the spiritual practice with life through your life. Right. Any spiritual practice can do that. So I'm not saying black yeah. people like because of that history, like you can't be Christian. I am saying you might think about think about it, think about it and how you really feel about it. But I'm not saying that black people can't, but I am saying if you're going to do it, you have to, like, I think it's important to look at the ways in which it has historically been against you and make sure that you're working to un unearth and undo those things before you carry it forward, which speaks to one other thing that I want to say, because I think this is super important. I've been talking about this with regards to um, that singing group that I was in in, co in college, because we're doing some work around, like, thinking about the legacy and the, the history of, of that group, since it's a group that does music of the um, African-American tradition and the African diaspora. Anyway, something that I think is super important with any institution is to think about the dominant narratives of that institution or that system or that whatever, the dominant narratives, the dominant history, think about the untold narratives, the ones that were diminished, the ones that were erased. So pillar number one, dominant narratives. Pillar number two, the untold or diminished narratives. And number three, which is key, 
what do we as an institution, group, system, collective, what do we today think about both of those things? Like those three pillars are key for me. So for me, I'm like, hey, church, y'all love to talk about, you know, whatever you like to talk about, about the history of the church. What about all this other stuff that you don't really talk about? What about how Christopher Columbus, who used his Christianity as like a justification for dehumanizing these people, was literally giving women, indigenous women, to his men to do with whatever they wanted. Like this man who called himself, like that is also your history, right? And like we all, every people and every institution has a messy history. So I'm not, this is not about damning y'all. It's about saying that's a part of your history too. One, I want you to acknowledge that history. And then I want to hear what do we feel about this now? Meaning like, how do we view this? How are we different from that now? What are we doing to be different? What is the process that we have gone through in order to be different? Because that's another thing. People think, I was saying this to my friend the other day, I was like, there's this idea I believe is like very Western and kind of white Western is this idea that like, if I just have a different thought about something, that just means that I'm like now different. It's like, that's not really how it works. I mean, and I can say that myself because I literally was just telling you, I have a completely different thought about the devil and yet my body still responds to the devil, right? right? It's more work than that. So I'm like, and that's true on the individual level as it is on the collective level. So I'm like, if you as an institution were oppressing black people and you've never even talked about the fact that you oppress black people, what makes you think that you're not oppressing black people now? That doesn't just magically go away just because, oh, well, the world's different now. So we're, no, also the world's not different now. But anyway, but like it's not, it doesn't magically go away. It goes away because you acknowledge it and then you like actually think about actual things to do to be, to actually create a different outcome. And so I'm like, think about these things. Think about, you know, the ways in which, you know, Christianity has been used to start wars and Christianity has been used to like all of these things. This is a part of your history. It's messy. That's fine. That's fine. I need you to acknowledge it. And I need you to have a stance with regards to it. And I need you to take action to create something new, if that's what your real intention is. And if it's not your intention, y'all need to, like, whoever's involved needs to run, run, run. Do not be involved with an institution that it's like, uh, you know, won't acknowledge its white supremacist history when it's fact or acknowledges it and feels that there's nothing that it needs to do about it. Nope. Right. There's a, there's there's so much more out there for you. Ooh. That's what ooh. that's what I got. Um, <laughs> so many thoughts. But so much of what you said reminds me of this documentary I started watching yesterday, Exterminate All the Brutes. Mm. I think it's on HBO. Oh wow. And it's it's the same guy who made I Am Not Your Negro. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's basically talking about the history of America, but of of white supremacy. That idea of this is the dominant narrative, this is the untold stories, and what are we, literally like what you're saying, what are we doing about it with it now? Mm -hmm. Um, Writing that down. Yeah, and then just that thought about controlling a people through sexuality Mm -hmm. and the history of that, you know, the history of marriage in this country and like, you know, queer people having to fight for marriage equality. Black people had to fight for marriage equality, like, you know, to... To have a Christian religion that makes marriage the main thing, and then to tell the whole people, you guys can't get married. Yeah. So it's like controlling <laughs> people through that. Yeah. And then even now, you know, as a black woman who was in like these white evangelical spaces, when you're telling people, oh, you can't have sex until you get married, 
But then also for a lot of us, that wasn't really an option because nobody was looking for us. So there is like this whole generation of of women, but Black women in particular, mm-hmm. who just kind of got lost in purity culture mm. and, you know, are now dealing with the effects of basically like feeling stunted in sexuality because it's like you, it was withheld from you for so long. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, yeah, this actually robbed us. Mm-hmm. Hello, that's just, <laughs> the queer, the queer experience. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's like right. so many of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just the, just the robbery. And so it's like, oh yeah, you, it was happening and it's still happening just, you know, in different ways. So thinking about that and then just this whole thought about Christianity as an institution and how it's an institution that's not coming against these other institutions of, you know, white supremacy, of bad, a bad educational system, like just all these other institutions that you're like, oh, like that's, that's what it should be fighting. But it's not. It's an institution coming against individuals who defy something within the institution. And so just thinking about, yeah, just the displacement and the misplacement of power. Mm. And like you you have this power, which is opportunity to do something. Like what a difference in the world Christianity could be making if it was actually following Christ mm-hmm. as an institution. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not. I would, I would say that it is not for the most part. And I would say that that is... In part, I mean, that's why I said at the beginning of this conversation that though I can talk about a historical legacy, I can talk about a spiritual belief system, but I think that first and foremost, I actually think it's like in declining order, like first and foremost, it functions as an institution of power, political, social, and otherwise. Secondly, as a historical legacy. And finally, maybe (laughs) as a spiritual system. I mean, just being real, I mean, you know, I've hung with people with different belief systems and many of the things that I associate with actual spiritual thing is the big piece is like, to me, a spiritual path is one of spiritual searching. It's one of humility. It is one of seeking some sort of coherence. There's there's all of these things that I just don't generally see in conventional Conventional expressions of Christian faith. Conventional. I'm not gonna, again. I'm not coming for everybody. I'm coming for almost everybody. <laughs> but I think like you're not you're not coming for everybody. And I would say that's that's good individually. But I think that's the thing. Like individually, I think Christianity can be good mm-hmm. and it can function as it should. Mm-hmm. But institutionally, mm-hmm. I have no qualms about saying no. Mm-hmm. Christianity institutionally is bad. Like it is not what it should be at all. Yeah. 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 And I will say Christianity institutionally, just given just the words that I used, I will say Christianity institutionally functions very harmfully. Granting that there might be some ways in which it does not. Yeah. Something you just said made me think of something and I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, that it primarily functions as an institution of, um, of power. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and you were saying that it's not coming up against these systems. And what I was going to say is that that is true. And I think that that is because institutionally, it is a function, it functions in favor of those institutions. That's the point. (laughs) And that part of the reason why, that's why I think this reckoning that I'm talking about with these three pillars of like dominant narrative, et cetera, and all that, like why I think that's important if you're going to follow that faith is because that is what would allow the spiritual piece to like come to the fore and like create a, a moment of reckoning with the ways it's functioning institutionally and historically and be like, wait, 
But if our beliefs say, say this and we're functioning like this, these things need to change. But until that conversation happens, it's just people are just going on autopilot. And autopilot means that you're continuing to function as an arm of white supremacy because whether or not that is how, I mean, it's not how it started, presumably, again, because whiteness didn't exist when Christianity started. Right. But, but here in America. Yes. 100%. 100%. And that that is how it's functioned Always. for, you know, almost our, our entire American history. American history. And prior, I mean, yeah. like, you know, since, yeah, it's an arm of empire. It's an arm of, and that, that is how it's functioned. And that is how it continues to function. And the reason why it is like, it is not working to dismantle these institutions. And it's, it, it makes perfect sense because otherwise it really, nothing would make sense. Cause it's like, if you follow Christ, how is it possible that you're not doing these things? Oh, it's possible because. Right. It's not about the following of Christ. It's about this institutional function. And the institutional function is historically the case that it functions to as an arm of empire, hugely an arm of empire. It is a, an arm of white supremacy. It is an arm of heteropatriarchy. It's like that is that is what that's what it that's just what it is. That's what it has been. That is what it is. I mean, and again, I'm like, fight me if you want to. Y'all were burning women, literally burning them because you said they were like, so don't tell me I'm lying when I say you like function as an arm of federal patriarchy. You literally were like, you are a woman and you're successful. How'd you do that? You must be a witch. I'm burning Witch, you. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, my ancestors literally died at your hands. So, like, don't tell me that I'm, like, what I say, historically, with receipts, you have functioned in that way. That's not in question. Now, what you might want to try to question me on is like, oh, but we don't do that anymore. It's like, but what work have you done to make that the case? Because if you've done nothing, then you are like, that's my thing. Things don't just shift just because. And, and, and don't come at me with, because. well, God makes things right because God, he, he gives a, he, he, uh, well, he, they, what, it, they. whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, that's another thing I've been trying to get out of because I like automatically say he. I mean, it's partially because I also think God is in me and I'm a he or I, I identify as he. I think that might be a piece of it, but I think it's mostly because I've always heard he, 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 he. But now I'm like really trying to like get into they or it or like whatever. I found it's easier for me to disgender God, so to say they, mm -hmm. than to like regender God and to say she. Mm -hmm. Like even as a woman, <laughs> for me, I'm like, ooh. And I try it like I can, but like there's still, mm -hmm. you know, like like seeing the video for the first time, be like, I don't even believe in this, but still in my body. Mm -hmm. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Isn't so that it's real? easier for me to say they than she. And I'm like, and I'm woman woman is feminist like all all the things right. like you would think my body's like can i just share period. something that i thought of literally a second ago well not a second ago but when i was thinking about all this stuff about what christianity is i like had a thought that i'd never had before which was because i was like basically i was having the thought that i said earlier which is like i would say like christ's teachings and doings for the most part i think i'm in alignment with but you know if i like actually went deep into it maybe there's some things that i have issues with and then i had a thought and i was like how is it possible that not one of the disciples was a woman? Like, given the revolutionary, I would argue, nature of Christ, I'm just like, it's a little striking, especially because, like, even if I'm talking, and this is getting a little whatever, but like, even if I'm talking archetypally, like, the mm -hmm. feminine, there are so many ways in which the feminine is so compatible with the idea of spirituality and of, of spiritual wisdom, like just the, the, the archetypal idea of the feminine. And so to not have a single woman, and I would argue that archetypally male is the male, the, the, the masculine, which is different from the male, I should say, but the masculine is less 
potentially, less archetypally associated with the spiritual. So it's interesting, like, even from a storytelling perspective, that not one woman was actually, like, women women were vessels for spiritual men. They were all of these things. But not one of, not one of the disciples could be a woman, not even one. But even as you're saying that, I'm thinking, oh, well, my, my first like radical thought would be like, oh, they probably just, who's to say one of the 12 wasn't a woman and they just, you know, whoever was writing it did that. Uh, and then I'm like, wait a minute, even if the 12 were all men, Mary, Martha, like all these women who were there, who's to say they weren't disciples, mm, but whoever, you know, wrote it, which is mm, like, no, there were only 12 disciples and it was these guys. Mm, oh, maybe there were 20 disciples, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're just like, no, we're not, we're not counting. We're not them. counting all of them. That's actually, that's right. fascinating. Yeah. That's a, it's just like an interesting, anyway, that's just like something that, that, that like literally I'd never really thought of until just now. Like I, you know, I thought about the, the sort of sexism of the, of the, in the Bible and whatever, but just like literally I was like, well, why doesn't Christ have any female disciples? Not even one, not one. Really? And then I'm, yeah. And I'm thinking, no, I bet he did in one way or the <laughs> yes. other. They they messed that up. They messed that up. I actually feel that. <laughs> but we we got through one question. <laughs> and we got to shut this down because I can't keep you here all day. Like I said from the beginning, I'm like, oh, I already know. You're going to have to come back. Gladly. This is fun for me. I love thinking about this stuff. Oh, good. And I will say, I will say, I'll say two things as final thoughts. Final thought number one. I was saying this to my friend. Even though, you know, institutionally, I, I have my issues with Christianity. And, like, I will say, like, you know, a lot of the things that I ultimately still feel in terms of, like, how I want to move in the world, like, are influenced by things that I learned as a Christian. I just yeah. have recontextualized those things now. And also um, don't wield those things as weapons against other human beings, which is what I think that is often the case. Like, that morality is, like, a weapon within Christianity in a lot of ways. And so that's, like, not a thing. And the other thing is that I... And I I think it's a combination of like my queer identity, my artist identity and creative identity that that my journey from Christianity to where I am now, I don't know, it was very rich. Like, I feel like I'm actually more passionate about questions of spirit and how they intersect with lived experience, which is another thing that I find often missing. I'm partially so passionate about it because of the journey that I kind of went on over many, 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 many years from where I started. And so like, I don't know. It's also part of my like my worldview and spiritual view is that like, you know, I had like it was traumatic and rough and I am I am who I am and I like who I am and where I'm going partially because I did ultimately go through those things and not just go through those things, but the things that I learned and unlearned like that process of learning and unlearning was all part of like helping me to come to a spiritual understanding that just feels more, you know, I haven't figured it out and I won't because like my understanding is, is that it's a ongoing thing, but like that I've gotten onto a path that I feel aligned with and that feels good partially because I had to unravel and get it together somehow. So thanks for having me. You and your thoughts that leave me thinking (laughs) so many thoughts. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. This is so good. So for the people who want to find you for more of your thoughts. Yeah. Where where can you find me? I'm at Greg Osei, G-R-E-G-O-S-E-I on Instagram. 
Um, I'm also on Twitter, at Gregose Music on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook as Gregose. I mean, you can just search Gregose. Uh, I'm on YouTube too, but I would say Instagram in terms of like, um, if you want to keep up to date with like what, I, what, what I've got going on. I'm currently like recording an album and producing an album. And so uh, look out for that, hopefully sometime this summer. Yeah, so we didn't even we didn't even get to that, to the artistic side of things. Oh yeah, so, that's a whole thing. And that that's a whole... absolutely relates to what we're talking about actually, so. Yeah, so Greg, Greg will be back, definitely. Looking forward to it. So that's that, and that's a wrap on episode 2.12. Speaking with Greg left me thinking so many thoughts about the institution of Christianity and how many churches as institutions are thriving at the expense of individuals and are also at odds with individuals. Instead of using their size and strength to fight institutional issues like white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism, they're actually partnering with those institutions to keep individuals suppressed, to keep using them to feed the machine. Just look at Hillsong, my favorite dumpster fire, and think about how Brian Houston keeps trying to blame the issues of Hillsong on individuals and shame individuals who dare to suggest that the problems are actually with his institution. So here's a real question. As an institution, what is your church doing with its power? Is it making any difference in any institutional problems? Or is it just sacrificing and silencing individuals as it creates and covers problems of its own? Just a little something to think about. So thank you to Greg for such a feast of food for thought. And thank you for joining us at the table. For more snacky thoughts, check out God is Not Given on the Gram, the blog at GodIsNotGiven.com. Hit the show notes for all the links. Tell your friends. Be well, and I will talk to you soon. I am an eagle.